This is Ouija Boards and Midnight Marks, where a spirit board conversation sparked our spiritual evolution. I'm Shale. And I'm Cheyenne. And each week, we explore a world where there is much more than meets the eye. So pour yourself a drink and join us as we cheers to a witch in good time. Welcome, friends to this specialty series from Ouija Boards and Midnight Marks. Um, This is Cheyenne. Hi, in case you didn't know. This is your first time being here. You should probably go back to the beginning. You don't have to. It's fine. I'll I'll wait. Actually, we'll pause here. We'll wait, and you can just catch up. Okay. Before we get going, I want to take a brief moment to offer up some gratitude to my lovely co-host for allowing this pet project to exist in this Ouija Boards Midnight Marks coven. I, yeah, just want to say thank you to Shale. We love you. We're going to miss you today. I have some friends with me here and some voices you're going to meet shortly, but you will be missing one and so will I. So hi, Shale. I miss you. It's Sunday. This feels weird. But I'm glad you're all here today because we are taking this opportunity to dive deeper with our favorite oracle deck, the Literary Witch Oracle from Katie Horan, um, illustrated by Katie Horan and written by Taisia Kataiskaya. Both of these artists will be linked in the show notes, as will links to get the guidebook and the oracle deck yourselves. Not sponsored, we just love them a lot, and felt that this deck deserved a little more attention this season. So, What's going to happen, basically, is we are going to draw a witch every three weeks from this deck to explore a little bit deeper. I'm going to share some of their work that speaks to me and I believe will speak to this particular coven of people, so their witchiest works, and I'm going to read them to my friends, to you, to anyone who happens to stumble upon this, and... We're just going to let these magical workings speak for themselves. And it's just going to be a really nice, fun, cozy time. So we're going to start this in true Ouija Boards Midnight Marks fashion with a cocktail. What are we drinking? Guest number one, who's the lovely Sam from Toil and Trouble, who you know from last week's episode and season one. Uh, We are also joined today by Ams from the Dahlia Crypt, who is the creatrix of all things spooky and ooky. Hi. (laughs) That encompasses everything, all the things. There's nothing this woman can't make, and we're so excited to have her here. Both of these lovely people will be linked in the show notes as well. Go support their art, share some love on Instagram, all the things. But what uh, what are we drinking? Uh, We are drinking a variation of a cocktail in the Tarot of Cocktails, a gift to you. Yes, by, from you, which is <laughs> lovely. So uh, to give context to the folks listening, it's a tarot deck that um, has references to, you know, your Rider weight tarot with recipes on the back to kind of correspond to the meaning of said card. Since we're recording in winter, we've replaced the herb in this one. Um, I think it was basil. Yes. Right? Yeah. Uh, with rosemary. Seasonally appropriate. Yeah. I actually drew from this deck on a whim last night. It sits on my kitchen windowsill. And I just 
felt the urge to pull a card and it happened to be this drink is modeled after um, the Ace of Wands and it is called the New Beginning. Um, that's the name of the cocktail is the New Beginning. So Sam can tell you the ingredients that are in this and then I will um, give us a little more insight into the tarot card it corresponds with. Yes. So New Beginning uh, can be made with 10 blueberries, five basil leaves, an ounce and a half of dry gin, half an ounce of simple syrup, a quarter ounce of fresh lemon juice, and two ounces of soda. So essentially you're gonna muddle the basil and the blueberries in a shaker, add gin, simple syrup, and lemon, and shake it with ice. Strain it through a fi fine mesh sieve into a low ball filled with ice. Top with soda and stir, garnish with basil and a few blueberries. So we've taken some liberties with this cocktail. <laughs> Thrift <laughs> witch budget. <laughs> yes. Use what you got and, you know, use what's in season. So as opposed to the basil, we've replaced that with our friend Rosemary. In addition, we've added more than blueberries. We've added some frozen, just berry mix, some cranberry juice, and what else did we have in here? Lemon. Yes. Whole boat. Just a lemon. lot of lemon. <laughs> Fresh lemon. And this beautiful gin. Yes. That's very floral and botanical. Mm -hmm. So it all blends very nicely together. And we have these very cute little skull ice cubes. I'll post a picture on Instagram. Yeah, you're welcome. Never <laughs> <laughs> has all of the gadgets. It's great. So this card corresponds with the Ace of Wands, which often comes to us when we are in need of a creative outlet. It is burning hot with passion, enthusiasm, and creative energy. The wand reminds us to dream big and to be brave as we take the first steps in materializing our dreams. When the Ace of Wands is offered to you, do not pass it by. Now is the time to bring your dreams to life. If you want to build a beautiful castle for yourself, have confidence in yourself and do it. Don't be afraid of taking chances. Risks are always a part of creation, but today they are nothing to be afraid of. So this is just a lovely little... Correspondence. Yeah. A nice little hug as we dive into this literary witch coven journey. So I'm excited. So the way this is going to work usually is at the end of each episode, I'm going to draw our witch for the upcoming episode. But because we had to start somewhere, I am actually using a witch that the three of us pulled together alongside Jeremy from When Walls Can Talk at our Samhain Seance because she resonated um, with all of us very deeply. She's someone you should probably know if you are educated in... The United States public school system. Wow, I didn't say that well. The United <laughs> States public school system. New beginnings. You, just kidding you. <laughs> probably had to read some of her work, which is a delight. So it's cool. We're excited. Um, we are talking about arguably one of the most famous American poets, though she was not that when she was living. And that is the lovely Emily Dickinson. So what we're going to do is read this lovely page um, written by Ticia Kataiskaya in this Literary Witch Oracle guidebook. It begins with a poem written by Ticia, and then we'll have a little bio into Emily Dickinson. And then we're going to read three of her poems, um, two shorter, one longer, and just kind of see how they, how they land, how they feel, um, and talk about kind of what they mean in correspondence with with how we view magic and witchcraft as well. So always 
looking through that which he lends when we're exploring these authors. So Emily Dickinson is the specter of windows, flies, and the unexpected. Emily travels freely between the afterworld and this world. Sometimes nostalgic, she returns. You might look into your garden and see a white dress kneeling in the flower beds. No body in it. That's Emily, come back to earth to joke with her worm friends. Or you might notice a comely mink in the Amherst woods whispering to a pond. Every year, Emily possesses this particular mink to recite her new poems in mink language to her best reader, the Black Pond. But you were luckiest if you see her on a rooftop wearing flies' wings. Before you can say her name, Emily swoops on from house to house, country to country, observing and perceiving. When she tires, God sends her a ditch, and Emily leaps into it, falling down and down. Emily Dickinson spent her whole life in Amherst, Massachusetts. Refusing conventional religion and her prominent family's exhausting social schedule, she instead cultivated a unique spiritual and social life. She wrote long letters to friends, worked in the garden, and created strikingly original poetry about God, death, pain, and love. When Dickinson died, even those closest to her were shocked to find her life's work of 1,800 poems neatly folded in her drawer. What's particularly shocking about the 1,800 poems was that in her lifetime, only, I believe, 10 or 11 were ever published. Wow. Which doesn't mean they weren't being read. She right. was had close relationships with, with several editors, with her sister-in-law, who she exchanged frequent letters with, who's thought to have edited a few poems of hers as well. Yeah, it's just interesting to think about someone. So someone as prolific as Emily Dickinson now, as we view her, um, was never, I don't want to say was never interested in being published because I believe she definitely wanted to be read and heard. And we can't ignore all of the misogyny, patriarchy, etc., that would have prevented her from like exploring all of these themes. She wanted those things to go to people on a personal level. Yeah. Not so much like a it was about the work. Published. Yeah. Yeah. So it was very much a, a a true love of writing. And she has such a unique style of both prose and um and like grammatical diction. When you read her work, she uses a lot of dashes, which is very uncommon in the type of poetry she uses, especially the type of poetry at the time, mm -hmm. but has such command and knowledge of all of these subjects that she's writing so deeply about, which there are dozens of think pieces and journal articles and YouTube videos. And I will link some of my favorites in the show notes because I don't want to spend our time doing a deep dive on the bio of the person that's out there. I want you to hear some work and enjoy it and sit down with a cup of tea or a cocktail and just let her words speak for themselves tonight. But she's obviously somebody because so little was known about her. Like there's so much stuff, which is why this waterfall is very easy to let happen. <laughs> so we're not gonna, uh, we're gonna go ahead and read this first poem. Um, what's also interesting about Emily Dickinson's poetry is that very few of them have titles. And if they are titled, they were probably titled by somebody else. Um, most of them are numbered. Mm. Or if you're searching for them, or if they, uh, the norm now is to just do the first 
the first line of her poems tend to stand as a title. Yeah. Whether that was her intention or not, we will never know. <laughs> okay, I'm finding this first one. This is why we like editing. Ugh, that so good. I don't know why I'm looking in our chat instead of in my photos where it's clearly pulled up. It's because we're drinking while we're reading poetry. Because is there any other way to do it? Yes, of course there is. You don't have to have a drink. No. We talk about that all the time. I'm sorry. No peer pressure. Okay. <laughs> this is poem number 1583, which is a fitting entry I think, into this trio. Hmm. Witchcraft was hung in history, but history and I find all the witchcraft that we need around us every day. So four lines in this poem. Four lines that at least in this, I mean, I'm sure in many circles, but in this little circle, <laughs> has so much depth. I think her selection of specific words is so intentional, especially in something so short. So four line stanzas to be this strong, like every word in this is so intentional. And her, I'll post photos of these on Instagram because I think it's really important to see how she structures things and how she punctuates and which words she capitalizes because none of it is grammatically correct in any sort of like her style of poetry is completely unique. She's not writing in anybody's like there there's no wrong way to write poetry, but there's a wrong way to write right. poetry, right? And at the time this probably was. Um, but it's so stream of consciousness and just so observant for somebody who spent so much of her time as a recluse in a room. Which I don't think I think it's really easy to talk about her in that context and and put all of these labels on her as this like she was you know afraid and frail and all of the things and she could have been all of those things right but somebody who writes with such passion and depth and knowledge of the world around her was not not living right in that room if that makes sense and so many she maintained so many deep and meaningful friendships simply through letters um, she went out quite a bit as a young girl. She didn't really uh, take up residence in that Amherst room until she was about 25. So like she was born into a fairly social, large family, you know, had all of the gatherings. So it's not like she was like locked in the tower from day one, mm -hmm. which I think is a lot of times the way we like to view her because it's tragic and romantic and all of the things. And we don't like to see the strength always. And these women too. Mm -hmm. um, so just something to noodle, I think. But is there anything that kind of strikes you initially in that? How's that make you feel? Do you want me to read it again? Yes. <laughs> witchcraft was hung in history, but history and I find all the witchcraft that we need around us every day. What was this titled again? 1583. It's just mm -hmm. the number, this yeah. one. Yeah. So witchcraft was hung in history is probably how you would find it. Mm -hmm. So the use of the word hung is obviously yeah, very, intentional. very important and intentional, not only as a reference to witch trials and systematic oppression and execution of witches and healers, but also just the attempt to stamp out witchcraft as an idea. Yeah, too. Mm -hmm. Because it's like uh, 
that phrase to hang your hat. It's like to hang yeah. your hat on something. It's just like to put mm-hmm. it away, to put it out of sight, to, mm-hmm. you know, stop thinking and talking about it. Mm-hmm. And so that, I mean, for us, hum, mm-hmm. you, we obviously think of Salem. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and persecution, but then also, as you said, it's hung up, like hanging the hat, like we're yeah. putting this aside because it's not that important. Cause it's not for us. It's not it's real. Not. But then she goes on to say, but for you and me, it's around us. Mm-hmm. And it's everywhere. And it's everywhere. And it's everything and it's nothing. So it's like you can't just hang it up. You yeah. can't throw it out because mm-hmm. it's still there. Okay, so here's one, um, 1383. So this one was written earlier that I think pairs with this one really well mm-hmm. and this particular discussion. So I'll go ahead and go into that one. 1383. Long years apart can make no breach a second cannot fill. The absence of the witch does not invalidate the spell. The embers of a thousand years uncovered by the hand that fondled them when they were fire will stir and understand. (sighs) (laughs) That was good. Satisfying. They're very nice together. Yeah. Which I think Mm. is the, what I love about the second one is that it, it was, it's not intended to be read together um, right. as far as we know. We don't really know what she intended for any of this poetry right. because mm-hmm. it was just tucked away neatly and no instructions were left. And that just makes me feel like she wanted it to be interpreted for your personal journey. Totally. Mm-hmm. Because of how intentional it was and to just be neatly tucked away. It's like, who needs to find this will find this. And mm-hmm. I mean, we don't know. Yeah, (laughs) we don't know, but I wish we did. And this is why so many people are fascinated by it. I mean, there are novels, there are television shows, there are books, there are a thousand other podcasts besides this one talking about Emily Dickinson. So she's, yeah, stands the test of time for a reason. Because long years apart (laughs) can make no breach. (laughs) A second cannot fail. Yes. Um, I love the line, the absence of the witch does not invalidate the spell. Yeah. That one's lovely. She's so contemplative. Mm -hmm. It's all very thoughtful. A lot of her poems and many, I would say most, read as a question, I think, and very intentionally. You're not meant to just walk away from this without holding on to some part of it and pondering. We'll finish it off with poem number 629, which is about the moon. I love the moon. (laughs) Right? Very witchy. We're recording this on the new moon. And an eclipse, And an eclipse. Yes. Yes. So I felt like a moon was a fitting poem to end on. Absolutely. So... 629. I watched the moon around the house until upon a pane she stopped, a traveler's privilege for rest, and thereupon I gazed as at a stranger, the lady in the town doth think no incivility to lift her glass upon. But never stranger justified the curiosity like mine, for not a foot nor hand nor formula had she, but like a head A guillotine slid carelessly away, did independent amber sustain her in the sky. Or like a stemless flower upheld in rolling air by finer gravitations than bind philosopher. 
No hunger had she nor an inn, her toilet to suffice, no avocation nor concern for little mysteries as harass us like life and death and afterwards or nay, but seemed engrossed to absolute with shining and the sky. The privilege to scrutinize was scarce upon my eyes when with a silver practice she vaulted out of gaze. And next I met her on a cloud, myself too far below to follow her superior road or its advantage. Ooh. The journey of moonrise to moonfall in this is really nice because it, it, the end of it, the picture I see in my mind is when I get up and take Willie for an early morning walk and the moon is still up and it's like right over the Rocky Mountains mm -hmm. and it's faint, but she's there and it always feels like such a gift. Yes. Mm -hmm. Especially that early. Yeah. It's a nice way to start the day. Yeah, this is yes. late. It's very much past my bedtime, friends. <laughs> <laughs> These will get classier and probably a little tighter. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Editing. Um, yes, editing is lovely. Uh, but yeah, so there's, mm -hmm. there's a few little witchy musings. From Emily Dickinson. From Emily Dickinson. I love it. Why did you choose those three in particular, other than the witchy undertones? I did intentionally, because she has so many poems, mm -hmm. in true journalism school style, I did a word search for the word witch. Oh, there you go. <laughs> um, to see which one of those would come up. And then I found the first two, and in that order... And liked those and decided yeah. I didn't want a third where which was my... I liked how those read together. Mm -hmm. And then I was thinking about this night and what was happening astrologically. Yeah. And how we were going to get together. And, I mean, I've never met a witch who doesn't love the moon. So right. I'm turning all my people-pleasing buttons on with this one. A <laughs> poet that you already know. Yes. <laughs> we talk about the moon. How do you think Emily feels about the moon? I mean, based on that poem. I think we can definitely read that poem a little deeper as a love poem to a person and not the actual moon and a person who's out of reach. With lunar energy, though, when you think about it, it's like, I don't know, it's so introverted and mm -hmm. the way to describe it about somebody, you know? Yeah. I mean, like to compare somebody to the moon versus like the sun or any other metaphor speaks deeply to like that reflective nature. Yeah. I personally like to read her um, through a very queer lens. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But again, that's all speculation based on only her half of correspondence. So I don't like to, I, so many people make that the main focus that I don't want that to be the default assumption for all of these either. Mm -hmm. And also I think we get, sometimes we get so caught up, which is why I didn't want to focus so much on on back, background and biographies outside of just the, the this is this what person and what she wrote and, and how she was and let the work kind of speak for itself. Because I feel like, especially with women, we tend to, we have all of these societal preconceived lenses that we already view each other from and women of a certain era. Mm -hmm. um, so I do just, I like to... Uh, I like to avoid putting that on somebody who hasn't offered it to us mm -hmm. and spending all of our time speculating about 
those aspects. Like I'm, I'm much less interested mm -hmm. in the personal relationships and more interested in the work that came from them. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. So that's kind of how I, how I feel about that. But I do believe that that, that reads very much as a, as a forlorn kind of love poem to me of, mm -hmm. of unattainable, but, but also reciprocated love in that, you know, that way yeah. <laughs> that we all know so well. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. So thank you both. Oh gosh. Okay. So before I thank our lovely listeners, actually, um, excuse me. No, we can shuffle this while we're thanking them. Um, so I do just want to take a moment to thank both of my friends for letting me read them poetry in the middle of the night. Um, in my defense, I have been under the weather this week. <laughs> and we're doing this in, you know, typical fashion, which is better late than never. So we are going to draw our next witch so that if you want to read up on her to have a little bit more of that context of who she was, how she lived, and get even more out of her work, we can do that. So who wants to draw her? I'll draw. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, Audre Lord. She represents justice in this literary witch deck. And we're going to leave it there. Mm -hmm. I will post a link for Audra in the show notes as well mm -hmm. so that we can all start our homework on the same page. Um, I'm excited. That's why I love this deck. It introduces me to authors that I haven't read nearly enough of. And I'm excited to spend some time finding passages of work that I think will resonate with everyone. Yeah. So it's just going to be fun, fun little book reports that I'm grateful that you're all letting me do. So thank you listeners for being here. Thank you, Sam and Ams for also being here. This is a pleasure. Yes. Thanks for having us. <laughs> yes. Thank <You're> you. <laughs> thank you, everybody. I love you all so much. I hope you have a lovely week. We will be back um, next week with, our very first episode of Herb Corner for season three. So I'll see you soon. And cheers. Cheers, witches. I forgot how we do this. I forgot how to podcast today. <laughs> cheers, witches. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Ouija Boards and Midnight Marks. If you're having a witching good time, we hope you'll help us to grow this little coven. You all know it's us against AI in this algorithm eat algorithm world, so please help us out. Please like, rate, and subscribe anywhere you're listening to us. Also, we want to connect with our spooky, marg-loving friends out there, so please like and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Links for those profiles will be in the show notes. And hey, be sure to tell us what you're drinking tonight. We love you all so much, witches. Cheers. <laughs>